Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. Uh, my name is Dr. Andrew Trasida, working for NHS Somerset, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague. Yes, hi everybody. I'm Dr. Sarah Coop. I'm a GP and a medical educator and coach. And we're really pleased today to welcome Christine from the Samaritans. And the title of our podcast is The Samaritans. Welcome, Christine. Good to be here. Thank you. And can I just ask you first, what's your journey? What is the Samaritans and what's your your personal journey been to do what you do now? Well, if I start with me, I um, I had a uh, general look around the world, newspapers and TV and my own village and thought, oh, there seems to be an awful lot of distress and, and angst going on. Someone should do something about it. And then I woke up one morning and thought, oh, dear, maybe it should be me. <laughs> and uh, one of the organisations that I'd heard of was the Samaritans. So I applied, was welcomed into the Yeovil branch and undertook the training and um, learnt at that stage a number of things about Samaritans, but they are a listening service and uh, they are non-judgmental. Um, they believe in self-determination. It all seemed to be in tune with what I believed. And so the rest, as they say, is history. That's, so, Christine, how long have you worked with the Samaritans? Three and a half years. Mm. And, and you've sort of given us there a little bit of flavour of what the Samaritans are about. And, and I think I assume that everybody knows you know, what the Samaritans do. But actually, just tell us, for, you know, just to really clarify, what, what do the Samaritans do? The Samaritans um, started with the aim of preventing suicide um, because a number of very, very distressed people came to the attention of, of, of the originator. Um, it has extended to a lot of preventative work with people who are lonely, unhappy, distressed, and of course, still people who are feeling suicidal. Um, originally, it was purely a telephone um, organisation um, but with the advent of new technologies, we have um, an email service, a text service. Um, and because of that extension, um, a lot of people are aware that there is somebody there to listen. And what the Samaritans believe is that people often know what they need, but they need to be guided, helped, supported as they work it out for themselves. Um, and it's not always easy to use friends. There is a danger they become bored, they're embarrassed, um, they feel inadequate. And so it's somebody that you don't know who will listen, not judge, and help you sort out um, a way forward. What they don't do is give advice. Samaritans don't give advice, which is really interesting because often at the end of a quite long call, someone will say, thank you for your advice when they have been their own advisor. And that's really, really helpful to sort of think through, you know, the, like, say the essence of what the Samaritans are about and what they do. And I'm just curious, um, Chris, because you said that you've been there three and a half years. What did you do before the Samaritans? Because obviously this is a, this has been a journey. And, and you said you, you, you look in the papers and you're thinking, right, I, you know, I need to be the change in some ways that you want to see happen. What, what led you, what's been a bit more of your background, a bit more of your journey to get to where you are now? I, I worked in education. My background is psychology. Um, 
counselling and therapy and everybody goes, oh, that must be helpful. Uh, no, because although it gives you an understanding, you're not a counsellor, you're not a therapist, you're a listener. And so there was a process during my own training of unlearning my stepping in and structuring and allowing the callers their autonomy, allowing the callers to um, understand that it's their call. So although we manage calls, we don't act as a coach or an advisor. We signpost if we think somebody more appropriately could talk to citizens' advice because their problems are debt or a legal problem. Um, we signpost people to um, people like the CAB and various other national organisations. Um, we're not easily able to signpost people to their local organisations because we are a national number. If you dial 116123, you get the next available Samaritan in the country. And there are hundreds of branches. And the last um, shift I did a couple of days ago, I had a call from Wolverhampton, one from Glasgow and one from Cornwall. So, you know, we cannot keep um, all the information about local organisations. So we signpost to um, sort of the national organisations and we advise people that they can probably find online their own local organisations, because what we offer is a very, very specific listening service. That's really interesting. And going back to the roots of the Samaritans with lots of local branches around the country, I remember visiting uh, your branch in Yeovil once. Is it in the park or somewhere there? It was in the park. It was in the park. It shows how long ago um, this was. We were, we were absolutely blessed because um, somebody gave us a large legacy and we purchased a building, which is actually um, one of the buildings up behind Tesco and used to be the children's centre, which we purpose adapted for Samaritans. And we are in the privileged position of having one of the uh, most wonderful um, Samaritans centres in the country now. So in those days, um, it was telephone and it was face to face. Is there still face to face? And I know we've moved into the Internet age and I wanted to ask a bit more about that in a minute. There is still face to face, but it was changed after COVID. Um, so some branches have gone back to doing face to face and we do have a face to face room in Yeovil, but at the moment we're not staffing it. Um, because the uh, pressure on the phones is is so extreme at the moment because you need to, to double staff because the last thing you need to do is to take people off of the phones. So you need a double staff um, there in order to deal with face-to-face. -face. So we're mainly either on telephone or online. So I phone 116123 and, I, and there's a, somebody answers me or I text joe at uh, joe, uh, joe at samaritans.org joe at samaritans what what would happen then so uh, here i am on the phone ringing and it's going ring 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 what what happens next um the central system will locate the next available samaritan um it will come up on their screen and then their phone will ring and then a Samaritan will say, hello, Samaritans, can I help you? Um, 
So at that stage, now sometimes people find it difficult to put into words what they want to say. Um, so we, we encourage people to take their time. And sometimes the first thing they tell you is not the real problem. Often people will say, I don't know why I'm ringing. Um, this is really difficult. Um, I'm now embarrassed. And one of the things we are trained to do is to actually leave them a space, allow them their time and allow them to think while they decide because people don't always give us a coherent story sometimes when they're deeply, deeply upset. Um, you have to untangle the story that they are giving you. If you email us, um, the emails go to a very specific and particularly trained set of people who um, answer emails with the same philosophy as on the phone, but also um, they will they will offer you access to sites and to our advice systems online, which talk about things you might do, um, things you might do to make yourself calm, um, things you might do uh, in order to make yourself feel better, breathing techniques, um, introductions to meditation. But that's, you know, that can be done via the email and we can obviously offer those sites via, via phone. Um, and we do have a texting system, but that's very, very difficult um, in terms of the fact that it can become unhelpful if somebody texts and you text back and they text again and it goes around in a circle that sometimes which is not constructive to, to the people who are contacting you. So we're very, very careful with our use of texting. Yeah, that's helpful, Chris, to know what, you know, for somebody who might be listening, who wonders, you know, what would happen if they rang through or they email, just to get a sense of who they might be speaking to. So as you said, you know, you're based in Somerset, but you could speak to anybody as you did in a recent shift all over the country. And the priority for the organisation is to make sure that the phones are manned, like they're double, double sort of um, manned, really, to make sure that people aren't waiting long on the phone or that calls get answered. Just out of interest, what are some facts and figures about the numbers of calls? Do you have that to hand? You know, the sort of numbers of calls on average or anything else that just helps us to kind of, you know, bring it to life, really? What sort of... The we answer, Samaritans answer um, uh, over, over 800 calls a day. Um, the priority... Um, is given, we try and double staff shifts in the early morning and night. There are huge demands in the early morning and, and at night. Um, for instance, when I was on shift last, um, there were 400 Samaritans online um, and there were, I think, 100 and some, 103, 105 calls waiting and the waiting time was about seven minutes. And we do try and get that down to two or three minutes because, you know, when you're in distress, seven minutes is a very, very long time. Um, and if somebody um, has picked up our literature in their doctor's surgery or their library or they've been given it by somebody feeling helpful, um, there is an expectation that the phone will be picked up immediately. And we do try and fulfil that as much as we possibly can. Mm, that's helpful so there'll be people who do ring people who email what about those who don't have access to either of those means of getting in touch is there anything that that they can do if you go to um if you go to a samaritan center but then you're going to find it hard to find a samaritan center if you don't have access to, to the internet 
Phone is the most common. If you ring from a call box, do you remember call boxes? If you ring from a call box, it immediately becomes a free call. Mm, I didn't know that. Uh, but there are so few call boxes now that, but almost, you know, most people have access to a phone of some kind, either in their home. Um, and the, the, you know, we have elderly people who have only got a landline, but um, the majority of our calls come from mobiles. Um, so, and and it's uh, it's also um, it's also possible if you have a phone at home. Um, and somebody is concerned, you can get a Samaritan to ring you. Um, just, uh, you know, so that if pe people are finding the courage to pick up the phone really difficult to muster, um, other people can ring and say, you know, this person really would value a call. But we are not a long-term service. We can't offer long-term long counselling or, or therapy. That isn't what we do. No, that third-party referral is a very useful innovation that was brought in some years ago. So one might know somebody who needs a call and one could help by putting that in contact. It's, it is interesting. That, and suicide is a, is a tragic event, and Samaritans is all about suicide prevention. The evidence is quite clear that many of us at times have had thoughts of desperation, and the problem comes when when we're in a crisis and we have no support. Because what we do know is that the, 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 the state of suicidal crisis often only lasts a few minutes. Uh, and so that is so valuable to have an easily accessible resource of, I was about to say unconditional listening, and then it, the words came to me unconditional love in a way, but it is unconditional listening in a from a kind, friendly, supportive person. Um, and that's just so powerful. I, I think it is very, very important. People will ring and say, I've often felt I don't want to be here. This is the first time I actually have thought about doing something about it. And that gives you things that you can definitely explore with them. Um, and you can also you can also say, you know, why is now so awful? And people often will say that now is awful because I haven't got the resilience um, to deal with this particular crisis and there isn't anyone to tell. And that's it. You know, the, the support systems that people had around them, the family, friends, certainly were interrupted by COVID, but are not always there now in the way they were. Um, even 10 years ago, people are finding that they are lonely um, and they've got lots and lots of presence online. Our younger um, callers have often got lots of presence online, but not people to whom they'd be prepared to show a vulnerable side. And we are there for people who want to show their vulnerable side and explore it. Thank you. And sometimes we're lonely, even if there are people around us and we feel very alone and, and upset inside. And um, there are certain times of the year when it's particularly difficult for people, Christmas time for some people when they're lonely. And 
Um, early in January or mid-January, it is said statistically is one of the gloomiest days of the year. Um, it may be because January is the longest month uh, after a payday. Uh, it may be because uh, the weather's dark and the days are short uh, and they haven't yet become light uh, both ends of the day. Uh, but do you see any seasonal variations particularly that have been identified? We do have um, a slight increase in volume at Christmas, but often what we are responding to are people's personal anniversaries, the death of a loved one, um, you know, the the time when they gave up work. People become very, very um, vulnerable when they can't remember who they were when they had a job and they're now, they now feel they don't have a place in society. So their personal an anniversaries are as important. Um, we do find that time is important. Uh, there are far less calls at three o'clock in the afternoon than there are at three o'clock in the morning because that's when people are sort of certainly not having access to other people to talk to. But you're absolutely right. Sometimes people who lead a very busy life, have lots of friends and family, are very lonely because they will not discuss the problems that are going. They don't want to lose face. They're embarrassed. They don't want to bore people. So it's not appropriate to talk to those people in there that are in their life. It's much more appropriate to talk to a stranger. And three o'clock in the morning we may be lowest and we may be loneliest and uh the, the hours before dawn are still a while off so it's it's a dark time so it's great to know that there are there are resources out there sarah i know there was something you wanted to come in on there yeah i think i was just wondering christine you'd said about how you're trained as volunteers to really create and hold that listening space and i think that is really key isn't it about just allowing people to take their time for the story to unfold because people might have picked up the phone like you say they're often quite not quite sure how to put their feelings into words just tell us a little bit more about the training that's involved because there might be some people listening to this who actually would be interested in perhaps becoming a volunteer so tell us about that it would be wonderful if there were people who were wanting to be volunteers um the training is, there's one training for people who want to be a support volunteer. So that's a general training. And then they might be responsible for admin. They might be responsible for IT. They might be responsible for buying Samaritan's biscuits, a really important role in any Samaritan's branch. Um, but if you're going to be a listening volunteer, you do um, a two-hour session once a week for six weeks followed by skills practice where um, other Samaritans give you a chance to explore your skills, but not with people who are ringing in, but with other Samaritans who are playing the part of someone who is expressing concern. Um, they cover the major issues that come up so that people can have thought about them. There is personal support because sometimes those issues um, evoke things in, in, in the people who are training. Um, we sometimes need to give IT training to people who are not confident. The systems we, we use are user-friendly, but they can still frighten people who are not familiar um, with it. And then you've got a number of um, areas where people are offering support. You've got the trainers, 
you've got the Samaritans who are doing the skills training with you and giving you a chance, and you have got the rest of your group as you develop on that journey. So people change as they go through the training. And you are taught to manage a call to make the maximum use of the time. You are taught how to ask open questions which don't prejudge the answer. You are taught to shut up, to not step in too early. You are taught to keep your mouth shut and let people explore things for themselves. And so you have to unlearn this thing about you mustn't leave a silence. You can, in fact, leave a silence. And then you are told how to access the information you might need, like what other organisation might be helpful in this situation. Um, and then you are taught how to end calls. Um, our philosophy is that the caller ends the call, but they can't be infinite. So there are a whole range of ways where you gently and respectfully end a call, but offer sometimes to call back at another time. Um, offer um, to pass the information to somebody if that would be appropriate, but to say, you can ring back, always you can ring back. We never say we're always here. We don't encourage dependency, but we always say to people, you can. So people are taught that so that when they're actually on the phone and hearing deeply distressing things, it's part of their internal thinking this is how we function as samaritans and there are samaritans who change their shoes when they come in because they put on literally the samaritan shoes and as i said um i had to unlearn skills that have been useful for the whole of my career in order to do that so that and we do have a whole range of people and i would like to say one of the best samaritans i ever met and i said to her you know what do you think was the most useful thing she said, i was a hairdresser I spent my whole career listening to my clients. Yeah, that is really interesting, isn't it? So you've given us there a, a really helpful summary for those who might be listening who wonder how they could get involved from bringing some biscuits perhaps to the Samaritan Centre if they're able to find that through to, you know, if they feel that's the right thing for them undertaking the training. And it sounds really, really comprehensive. I think it's so interesting to think about what you had to unlearn. What would you say the key thing that you had to unlearn that's enabled you to be the Samaritan that you're being now? What's the main thing you've had to unlearn? There is a, a very strong part of me that wants to fix things. And it's actually quite common in Samaritans. We spend a lot of time in training talking about the fact you can't fix things and it isn't either your right or your responsibility to do that. Partly that protects the um, Samaritan because you don't want to go home thinking, God, I haven't fixed anybody today. If you've been told you can't, it means you don't go home with that. Um, at the end of every Samaritan's session, you have a debrief. Partly so that we can have a picture of what calls we're getting, but also so that you can leave with your leader on call to whom you debrief anything that is left unfinished for you. And that's a lot of things are left unfinished. You don't know what's happening, but you leave it with your leader on call. It's really important that people don't take those concerns and responsibilities home with them. And that's what I found difficult, was not being able to see things through, not being able to sort it out um, and to accept that it's the caller's responsibility and you're there to support them, to ask questions that might lead them down different thought trails, but not to give them advice. 
Yeah, and it's having those clear boundaries, isn't it? Andrew, you you had a thought there, I think. Thank you, I did. And that's really helpful to hear about that supportive debrief at the end. But you mentioned um, there are different groups of people. I'm just a bit, I'm just curious as to what groups of people do access, what age groups uh, is there? Are there, is it more younger people? Is it more older people? Is it more women? Is it more men? Uh, and just tell us a little bit about that and, and any resources for those that are disadvantaged at all, such as not everybody can use the internet. People, um, are, you know, there are figures, and they do vary from year to year. Our callers used to be primarily um, in older age groups or in the working age group. We do get quite a lot of calls now from very young people, I mean 10, 12 years old, um, who are aware that we are a confidential line, and it's very important to them. And we do get calls from people who feel that life has passed them by and that they are now retired and of no use. Um, So it is across the board, but I would say the majority of our calls are from the 40 to 60. Um, People who are possibly re-evaluating or changing things. But since the, um, I mean, there's a lot of people ringing us now because financial problems have put them under pressure and they tend to be younger trying to pay mortgages, keep children okay. Um, and, you know, we. I think now we do, we used to have more calls from women. We're getting a lot more calls from men because I think somehow it's become acceptable for men to talk about their emotions more than, than it used to be. But men have always been able to talk to Samaritans because they are confidential and they don't know them. They're not, men who've actually said to us, you're not going to tell my mates. There's no way my mates could find out what I'm talking about, is there? And there is absolutely no way their mates can find out. So again, it comes back to creating that safe space, doesn't it? That actually enables people to feel there's that trust there. Just out of interest, what about translators for non-English speakers? I don't know. I've I've never come across a translator. I think mostly um, uh, people, we do not have specific lines which have language which is something we have and are looking at um but you couldn't have a Punjabi speaker in every and they wouldn't be on shift all the time and I, I say that because I actually had to get someone to get their daughter to help them um the other day because I don't have Punjabi uh but you could you know it would be difficult I think there are set there are weekend signpost to um, a service which does deal specifically with people um, whose language is not English as their first language. But I don't know much about those things. I only know there are support things to whom we can signpost. Yeah, so there's maybe, a, again, a need there, isn't there, for volunteers So yeah, to come forward. Just um, in the few minutes that we've got left, this has been so helpful, Chris, and just really, really um, interesting to hear about the work and, and obviously a bit more about it. If people want to find out more about the Samaritans, obviously there's a website. And I was having a look there earlier and I saw that there's a self-help app. Um, so is there anything else that would be useful for people perhaps who are thinking about accessing Samaritans for some support for themselves that they maybe would want to do um, to look at? Is it would, you know the self-help app? Is there anything else that you think would be uh, the advice you might give people? One of the ways that um, has proved really useful for people who have no internet connection has been going into their local library. 
um, actually saying to a librarian, have you got anything in writing? But those librarians will often say, would you like me to put you onto the website? So, you know, please don't forget local libraries. They are absolutely brilliant. Um, doctors' surgeries have often got information and doctors' receptionists can often help by actually offering you some written material or even helping you on your phone that you may not be familiar with, find Samaritans. So people like that are very happy to, to actually um, move people in our direction. But the easiest way always is to pick up the phone and dial 116123. Um, because even if you're you are saying, I want information on, we can at least pass you on and, and perhaps deal with that. So that number is our main way. And a lot of young people start by emailing us and then go on to the phone afterwards. That's so helpful, Chris. Thank you. Any final words from you, Andrew? Just to say I am in awe of the wonderful work that's done by the Samaritans up and down the country. And professionals non-professionals uh, whether we're working in healthcare and i know that um that you are all professional in your approach and you're trained although you're not actually health professionals but i, I i've every professional everybody working in this field uh, everybody working with people will have saved lives um by helping somebody through a tragedy and they will never know that this has happened and so the work that you're doing is just so wonderful so Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thank you. And just a final word from me is there was an episode we recorded a few weeks ago about the orange button scheme. And that was a training scheme for people who want to um, feel sort of more confident with being able to have conversations about people who might be considering um, suicide or feeling, you know, in a real crisis point. So also, if you're interested, do have a listen to that episode as well. And um, just for a bit of information about the orange button scheme as well. Thank you very much. Can I say just one more thing? Mm. Um, all the Samaritans I know get a great deal more from being a Samaritan than they give to the people that they have as callers. And there is such a range of people that everybody is welcome. That's really helpful. Thank you very much, Christine. Really appreciate your time. And thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.